Welcome to Slayerfest 98. I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. Uh, and I'm Anthony Oliveira. And today we have the extreme pleasure of being joined by the series writer, showrunner, and developers for the X-Men animated series. Eric Leewald. Julia Leewald. Yay. And uh, if that weren't enough, the voice of Rogue and member of Canadian Parliament. Well, howdy, sugar. <laughs> it's, it's Lenore Zan here, AKA Rogue the Extreme. Oh my gosh. <laughs> This is the joy of a lifetime. I can't believe we're, I, I was tweeting earlier today, like this show really was like the architecture of my childhood. And it's such a pleasure to be chatting with you all. Um, this is such a joy. It really, it's like our, in it's like bedroom. our, <laughs> yes. yes, in the bedroom, yeah. <laughs> it's all our gay boy dreams coming true. Yeah. <laughs> I always love purple walls. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a really gay room. It is. <laughs> and I love to, it. And to let all of our listeners know, normally we record over um, just audio, but today we're doing something special and it's over Zoom so we can all see each other. <laughs> I have already off talked about Lenore's hair, which is gorgeous. I'm obsessed with it. Thank you. <laughs> and I did it myself. <laughs> we all have, yeah, like I love that my it, quarantine haircut is this COVID. like rough thing and yours is this gorgeous <laughs> yeah it's my COVID hair and I did it all by myself um yeah pretty not bad eh it's beautiful it really is so I guess we should start by asking about how this project came to be like how did this land in your laps did the oh. network come to you or go back in time go back in time <laughs> go way back in time <laughs> comics in the 60s for 30 years, I couldn't get them on TV yeah. for some reason. Hollywood didn't, didn't get it. But there's one there were one voice in the wilderness, a great lady named Margaret Lash, who worked at Marvel Productions, believed X-Men would be a great show. Couldn't give it away. Couldn't give it away. And she finally, in 1990, was made head of Fox Kids TV. So which she, was a network at the time, which was just to starting, just yeah. starting out. That yeah. was on TV, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Broadcast television, yeah, nothing, nothing online. There was no online, and, uh, and so she decided. I mean, the show that she wanted to get on the air. She had a number of them, but the number one was X Men, and she took her about a year and a half to get it sold to her people who didn't believe in it either. And when she got the green light to do it, it was early, what January nineteen ninety two. Uh, she and her right-hand man, Sidney Iwaner, looked around and said, well, who are going to get to produce this? And they had a place called Graz Entertainment that had hired two Marvel uh, artists, Will Minio and Larry Houston. They said, we're going with them to do the actual art and production of it. Okay, but who are going to go to write it? And the year before, I'd done a season of, I'd been the supervisor, the showrunner for a season on Beetlejuice show for Fox Kids. Love uh, the last, like the last season they had. I, I did start it out. Some really cool people set that show up, ran it for three years. They're tired of it. I got a year of it, and that was such a good experience for me and for uh, Margaret and Sydney that I guess Sydney just said, "Well, Eric's, a, you know, Eric has the tone in his head for me for X Men. He's the right tool for the job." So he and Mark Edens, who's like a main writer with me, guy I've known since college. They said, have those guys come on and, and be in charge of the scripts. So I was hired on 
like the literally the night Sunday night before a Monday meeting with <laughs> no. family and Hans Kaban and 30 other people from Marvel and all over from Fox saying, okay, great, we're gonna pin our future hopes on you for our, for this big show. And I had to sit there and not say, well, I don't know who the X-Men are. You weren't a fan. You didn't <laughs> I know. Not a fan. I mean, I, I read other comics when I was growing up, but I, I couldn't name two X-Men. Oh my gosh. That wow. Most folks back then in 1992 couldn't yeah. have done that either. I guess that's true. Back then, no one knew who the X-Men were, we were beyond the comic fans. Margaret told us 85% of our audience for TV wouldn't know the X-Men, so we'd have to be very careful in introducing them. But I learned very fast. All the art people knew them by heart. All the art people you know, uh -huh. were X-Men pajamas. They were, <laughs> they really were true believers. So they made sure, and Marvel was on board. So they made sure we stayed uh, true to canon and true to the spirit of the show. But the, the head writing staff, we, it was really new to us. We just wanted to tell like the best heroic stories we could tell, but we didn't have any agenda. We didn't have favorite characters. We didn't have favorite episodes, you know, issues. We just looked at this group of eight people like Rogue and thought, well, what's the coolest Rogue story we can tell? Well, one when she maybe thinks she might give up her mutancy because she's so lonely. And so, so we started building a story around that. And then we pull stuff out of old uh, issues, issues or, or there's this thing called Marvel Universe that has a history of everything Marvel in it. Oh, and, oh. and board games. <laughs> we, learned, we learned our accent for the board game. There was no internet. Let me repeat. <laughs> Right. There was no internet. Those board games were really detailed. Like they had, I had one that had the little cards. You learned everything from them. No, no Google. But so yeah, we, <laughs> we learned it really. We learned X Men really fast as we were writing the first season. And as I understand it, uh, you have you have to ask Lenore. But I I bet half half the cast was learning them too. Did you pick yeah. the cast or like as in the characters? Oh. Uh, we, we had a we had a vote. This is how primitive it was. <laughs> they were all up in Toronto, which is like a great place to get. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, you're talking about the cast, out the, actual the, ca the cast of characters. Like, oh, did the, you choose? Right, the cast of characters. Yes, we had a say in it, and everybody had a. You know, Marvel said, "Well, we're pushing Gambit's new, and Jubilee is." Uh, they've had a problem with a Kitty Pride, uh, right? The Pride of the X Men cartoon. It didn't work, so we did. If we say we want to have a teenager, well, Jubilee's our hot one right now. So they picked two or three, and obviously Wolverine and Professor X and uh, Scott and Jean are kind of a given. But that was it. And beyond that, uh, they pushed. I uh, say Gambit was this new person, so that was the only one that was kind of unusual. And as we were writing. Uh, we discovered that we loved Beast so much. We put Beast in jail in the first episode. Right, the whole season, yeah. He was going to be a background character. Civil disobedience. Civil yeah. disobedience. <laughs> yeah. And he was going to be in two episodes, but it was so much fun writing for him. And George's voice was so cool. George Booza voice for That Booza. we uh, just kept on writing him and kept on writing him. And by the end of the first season, he was a core member also. Morph was written on purpose to kill. Right, you know, which so is that, audacious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I just uh, jumping in here real quick. February 1992, you get the call. Typically, and it was going to premiere September 92. Animation takes a long lead time. These are all hand drawn. Every cell. Batman, which is going to premiere at the same time, already had a year in development before you got the call to go yeah. into that. So first we meeting. got seven months. They got 19 months. And then, Not that we were bitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm also suggesting that the, the casting 
was so kind of down to the wire in terms of getting this thing done and getting it on the air. And Lenore, you were up in Toronto minding your own business. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you must have heard. Lenore, how did this come onto your radar? When did yeah. you first, were you, were um, you an X-Men fan? <laughs> no, I, no I, I didn't know who the X-Men were. I did not know. I, um, I was an actor who started off in theater and doing musical theater. I played Marilyn Monroe in a rock opera on the life oh of Marilyn. God. Yeah, so that was kind of like my first main claim to fame. And then um, and then I was doing film and television. I'd, I'd only ever done one animation series before this. And um, I heard my agent said that there was, they were having auditions for a, a new show, some kind of cartoon show, and that they were looking for a deep, sexy, husky voice. Uh-huh. with a southern accent uh-huh. <laughs> and she said you know it, it's you so i i skipped the first audition i have to say i i did not <laughs> go um i just i was a bit of a bad girl back then <laughs> and um you know i just i don't know it, it i thought oh you know, animation you know who kind of cares i was more into like the, the more serious stuff right but uh, by the time they had the callbacks, they still had not found the, the voice that they were looking for for Rogue. They'd found some, the other ones and they were bringing people back for second, you know, for, for the final callbacks. But they hadn't found one for Rogue. And my agent said, it's because of you. <laughs> they haven't found it because of you. Get your ass over there. So I did go and I did... I looked at the cart. I looked at the drawing, and it was she was this sassy character with, well, kind of sort of similar hair in some ways, uh-huh. and you know, and I'm just an attitude, and um, and I played a lot of southern characters already anyway, and I just went, oh yeah, I can do, I can do this, and and I went in the booth, and I just said, uh, you know, my daddy liked to kill himself when he found out I was a mutant, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, the rest is history, right? I have always wanted to ask, is is it, it a bit of Dolly Parton? Is there Dolly Parton in there? I don't, th- I didn't try to do Dolly Parton. I did not, I wasn't even thinking of Dolly Parton. Yeah. But, I mean, I am a little bit like, a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, Lenore told me right before we started recording that uh, she has an album in which she sings nine to five. Can you imagine? There's a recording of the voice of Rogue singing nine to five somewhere. I need to hear that. That is amazing. Yes. To me. I think people like it. I, I do. I think people like it. I will send you a copy. You get me your de- address. Oh, please. I, I would. I cannot wait. I'll send wait. you a copy. Yeah. Um, how did you think about the character? Like when you were developing me? her? Yeah. She's me. She's like me. I, I, I have her within me. Um, as a young woman, I was searching for myself all around the world, trying to figure out where I fit in, feeling a little bit different and kind of wondering what it's all about. And um, I always had a kind of deep sadness and a bit of a loner. Um, although I can turn on the charm and be the life of the party. But so to be honest, I just tapped into who I really am and, uh, and, and that's what came out. Yeah. And, and when we were, you know, when we were writing her, we thought of her 
as obviously strong and independent and you know takes no crap from anybody but uh as the saddest loneliest of x-men of the whole group and if if she had traded powers or could have traded powers with wolverine they would both be perfectly happy because he yeah, live in the woods and not touch anyone, and she could like with not do the claws. But so in a way, the the things that made them the who they were 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 in a very human way the things that 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 created who they were as characters yeah, that humanized them. Yeah, in spite of the mutancy or because of it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it's interesting because after we finished X Men, well, we did that for five five years, I believe. And then uh, some of the same uh, team did another show called uh, The Avengers. And so right. I played Tigra. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so I got to have the claws. <laughs> there you go, perfect. Yeah, a little bit more rage too, right? <laughs> a little bit more rage, yeah. yeah. So wow, I, Hawkeye, I wanted a real man. <laughs> So I'm I was wanted a real man. <laughs> I'm sure all three of you have heard this a million times, but like, when did you start realizing what a queer fan base you had with the X-Men animated series? Like, when did that start being like, oh, we have a lot of queer fans? Well, Comic-Cons. And I'm going to say Comic-Cons because we, the two of us, uh, and I, I'm a writer on X-Men animated series, just to clarify here, um, we didn't really get the chance to go to too many comic cons because we're not voice talent. We can't. Right. You know, yeah. Kids don't get how much work you do. It's a big deal 30 years ago. No. I mean, what would happen would be we would write for something for X-Men for four or five months, get the show done and then go on to the next show and just not, and we, and go on the next show would be three or four months into the next show mm -hmm. before the first episode that we wrote. Uh, even aired. And it's pre-internet. We weren't working in a major studio office. We were in our home offices. We didn't hear anything from them like what they so, may have been receiving mail-wise. So we really didn't interact with the fans. Julia had this wonderful, we, we, when we realized X-Men was a big deal because you know, we worked on dozens, literally 40 some. I've seen ago. your resume. It's we like, like Ninja Turtles, Transformers, <laughs> Avengers, Gargoyles, Darkwing Duck, G.I. Joe, like every, you literally like built my childhood from scratch. <laughs> it turned out good. <laughs> but we realized X-Men was a really big deal, Julia did, when she went in one day to uh, the little the Fox offices and asked the, a lady that was involved in marketing the, the the Fox morning, kid, you know, the kids show. Like the third or fourth year the show was on. And I said, are you getting any kind of feedback? Because no one we, was telling us. Know, fans never know. talked to us. There was, wasn't right. an internet. No, but yeah, we just were working in our home. So here in the US, the US Postal Service, there are sort of milky colored plastic boxes yeah. that put a lot of- you know, that's A couple hundred pieces yeah. of mail and a couple hundred pieces of mail and, and, so and Charlotte, you stack them. Charlotte Fullerton there at the office at the time said, well, let me show you. So um, go out to the office, this hallway there and there's a box and it's, there's another box that's stacked all the way up to the ceiling and it's stacked all the way down the hall and it's stacked all the way back, all these boxes. And she goes, every one of these is a kid writing for X-Men. Oh my God. I'm gonna cry. I know. Oh, nice. And they never told any of us. They never, they never told us. Yeah. The actors. Oh, no. We didn't know either. And, and it wasn't. Not nobody knew. Yeah. We, we understood that the ratings were good because that was kind of a, not that wasn't an open secret. That was just the currency of Hollywood. Right. Like Saturday morning ratings are really strong. X-Men, Batman, Spider-Man, you know, the, the ratings were through the roof, yeah. which was great. But again, no one was calling us up saying, 
hey, yay, right. good job. Yeah. And, and we weren't getting raises or anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, you thought it was one and done, right? You thought the season one would oh, be it, right? Absolutely. In fact, we, we all hired out to another show. Mm -hmm. It was July and August when, when, we were when we and the artists were done, the writers and the artists were done. And we hired out to another show, Exosquad, uh, over at Universal, and we're work we worked on it for about three months because none of our contracts had an extension on it. Because no just, one thought it would hit. I just thought it'd be gone. Margaret Flesh thought had confidence that she could get one season out of it, but she yeah. couldn't get anyone to believe it would go further than that. Then suddenly, you know, in January, it's this huge hit, and they frantically are calling us all back. You know, artists, can you come back and keep drawing? Writers, can you come back? And you couldn't renegotiate? <laughs> Okay, here's my horror story. Yeah, here, here, here's the, there's, here's the, the, the dark side of Hollywood. You think, you think me like friends, like, yes, I'd like 10 times right, more yeah. piece, or you don't get your hit team. Right. So it doesn't as, work that way in animators. As a writer on the series, um, going into the second season, uh, the fellow in charge of a certain chunk of the money, and those are always the folks in charge, whoever's in charge of the money. Um, right. Were, the salary for a script was XYZ. Okay, great. So maybe we'll get like X, Y, Z, and you know a few dollars more. Goes, no, um, the script fee is now five hundred dollars less. Wait, you're gonna, you're gonna pay us five hundred dollars less? Goes, I gotta line out the door of people who want to write for this show. Oh, of course. Want to write for this show? Five hundred dollars yeah. less. <laughs> well, what about really? you, Lenore? Are you not making like a million dollars an episode? No, in season two? no, no. <laughs> we we did. They did a buyout with us the first year. And we basically just made like kind of a scale uh -huh. uh, for animation, which is still it's good, it's good, but it's not right. great when you're a, when you're an actor. Like when you do right. movies and television, you make more money, but it um, it never really changed. We 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 wrote we we signed these contracts and we did it, and we don't we don't even get residuals. We don't get residuals either. Oh, yeah. You can play a million times, yeah. not a penny. Yeah. <laughs> Although the, the, we get the love. Yeah. We, right, yes. Yeah. Lenore, were you getting a lot of queer fans coming up to you? Um, Because Rogue is such cons. a queer icon. She is, yeah. Yes, well, at the, at the Comic-Cons, yes. Um, but again, I didn't start going to Comic-Cons till last year. Oh, really? Really? No. How yeah, about you guys? We, we started we started two and a half two and a half three years ago when oh. when our book came out because we didn't yeah. before then it was like oh you guys did the writing okay oh. that's interesting you know <laughs> uh, you're not you're not William Shatner okay <laughs> next but uh, so we got the book that will hold up <laughs> shameless shameless plug department here previously on X Men. Anyway, so, making of the animated series. Right, and we it's good. It's really good. We interviewed Lenore, a dozen other cast members, and all the artists and everybody. So, so we had this living history of the show, and that gave us a kind of a basis for panels. And so we'd start out with writers and artists, and then we'd say, "Well, there's this amazing cast in Toronto." I said, "Yeah, but that's you know, I have to, we have to fly him down." And, <laughs> uh -huh. and so gradually we it worked out that the cast started coming down and mm -hmm. it became more of a thing and there'd be six or seven of us going to a to a con it's still not as big as it should be and i i kind of hold that up that x-men animated series itself was like the the, the child of a bad divorce because <laughs> once fox kids kind of no longer was happening and once uh marvel was just going through all kinds going of bankrupt. going bankrupt selling off rights here and there right it really wasn't until the last two years that 
you could really find a source for X-Men. And I'm and uh, now I'm saying J Disney Plus, first time in yep. 20 years, it's been available somewhere consistently. There was no, like Batman's got Warner Brothers. Right. And yep. Star Trek has Paramount. And good old X-Men animated series didn't really have anybody. Yeah. And so, and so, as far so as the, as far as the people that come up to us, because you know, it's, Laurel said the same thing that thousands of you know the fans come up over the course of the, the um, usually most of them have some sort of story about feeling so different from the world around them, and a certain percentage of that is are, are queer folks, a certain percentage of that are just outcasts or you know people that didn't fit in racially in their community. Right, yeah. Whatever it is, uh, and some of them, you know, some of them just feeling a little out, out of place. Some of them feeling desperate, uh, you know, going through adolescence and not feeling like they fit in anywhere. And the testimonials that we got, we got dozens of people writing us before the book saying, we you, you don't understand. I wouldn't be alive if I, if I didn't stop myself, you know, from jumping one day because I was, wanted to see what the next one we're going to do on Saturday. Yeah, and it's so real. It's so and, and and to have been a part of anything like that that had any kind of impact, you know, is is so astonishing and so profoundly gratifying. And it, yeah, and it's not that it's not that the three of us brought something so unique to uh, to television that this is. A, I think it's that there is something built into the idea of X Men. That uh, that was in the books when we would, some of the books were weaker, some were stronger. It's it's there in the books to be mine, and just this sense of of difference and exceptionability in both good and bad that made the, the mutant the whole idea of mutancy that that core thing just people just grabs people in their heart, and that's why we pushed it more in the writing. If you look at the books back and that we had to look through the '60s through the early '90s. There's an awful lot of kind of like live wrestling issues where, right. no, right. no, I'm stronger. No, I'm stronger. No, we'll see who's stronger and we'll fight for 20 pages and somebody wins. And there is this sense of not fitting in. And so we tended to minimize the live wrestling part of it and, and maximize the sense of their humanity and make the characters more. Well, what would you do if you were a 29 year old person living at the X mansion and had a life to live versus, oh man, you've got cool superpower. To us, the, the fighting was like a gunfight in a Western. You have to have it, right. but yeah, the stories were about the characters. Honestly, um, that's what makes the best, Anthony and I talk about this a lot when we're talking about anything nerdy and genre, like that's kind of what makes the best genre TV or movies is when you know that like, okay, we do have to have the action scene or the fight scene, but we're gonna make it more about the characters and the action scene will happen, but that's not the whole, that's not the plot, isn't the fight. And I think that's- Although a, it's fun though to do as a voice actor. As a yeah, voice what are those actor, like, like, what are those like, huh, ah, uh, sounds Yeah, like, all that. Or, you enjoy it? Cause I hear some voice actors do not like the grunting part of the job. Some, yeah, some people don't, but I'll tell you what, like you have to use your imagination because you're not actually doing anything physically. You're at a microphone. Yeah. And you've got, so so they're talking you through it. And so for instance, a scene might be, okay, Rogue. So you're flying through the air, <laughs> right? You're yep. flying through the air. And then this great big, huge, giant guy, you go and hit him with your fist, okay? 
<laughs> like a sentinel or something. You hit uh -huh. him, but then the, a storm comes along and there's like, she sends a storm and then the next thing you know, you're going in a funnel, sort of, you're going in this funnel, you're going around and around in this funnel in the sky, right? And then you're falling and then you're punching your way through it and then you're kicking somebody and then you're picking up a building, you're picking up a whole building, because of course she's the strongest she that, woman in yeah. the universe. Now you're picking up a building and like moving it. It's like that. Yeah. So, okay, so ready? And action. And Go. action. <laughs> were you recording with the other cast members? Are you all in a booth together when you were recording? Yeah. We, we were, yeah. But, Was that but, a lot of know, fun? Oh yeah. yeah, it was like a radio drama. <laughs> we we actually just talked about, we recorded our episode, we did the discussion on the Dark Phoenix saga arc. And I, Lenore, there is a lot of, I was like, there's a lot of good screaming in this. I wonder how they like, <laughs> did you guys have like record different screams and just like, okay, use one of the screams or would it be like, this no, is No, I scene. think they had to do it every time. Yeah, I did every it every time. time. Yeah. No, like, that was, yeah, go ahead, bro. I was going to say, my bro. best one, the best one was, uh, when get out of my mind you know when oh, yeah. when, yep. when she's yeah. in her head captain marvel ms marvel and and then i'm trying to get rid of her out of my head and i go punching up through the through all the different layers of that building uh -huh. i don't know if i leave a hole and yep. they're all coming out and they're looking at the hole but there's a big <laughs> scream there and it's a really long one is that one of your favorites of to do the miss the captain marvel episode what's that do you have like favorite episodes that you think about a lot that you got to do? Well, of course, A Rogue's Tale. Yeah. Because you get to hear her backstory. Yeah. I think we all looked forward to when we got a script that was about us. Yeah. <laughs> like most actors. <laughs> I didn't real realize till you're talking about all the grunts and screams, something I think it's a, it's a personal weakness. Uh, in previous shows that, that I'd worked on earlier in my career, we couldn't always rely on the voice directors. In, 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 in live action movie script writing, you don't write in the grunts and the screams and the yells and the woes. You just, you know, somebody gets knocked over and you just assume the actor's gonna <laughs> say it. But oh. so my, our scripts are like six or seven pages longer and I swear three of those pages were impact grunt, uh, acceleration <laughs> scream. I just I put that in in dialogue for every time somebody even bumped into each other uh, so to make sure, because they were in Toronto, to make sure that the voice director wouldn't just say, oh, well, you know, they'll put that in, in, in post-production. Right. Never relied on that because these things have really tight budgets and schedules. Uh -huh. and lots of times <laughs> stuff like that gets left out. So I... I think I overcompensated, and so they had to scream more. Oh, no. <laughs> Some of those rogue screams are iconic. They really are. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, Thanks, say this, I, say, I say this all the time. Like, when I would play with my X-Men action figures, I would always, like, recreate try to like recreate like Rogue or Storm's voice with the figures <laughs> and like recreate the like plots that you guys like wrote for the show. Aww. And even now as an adult, like if I read the comics, those are still the voices. I like, still hear, I still hear you Lenore when I hear every. Really? We, we've had yeah. so many Thank guests you. on this summer talking. So we've like pivoted to talking just X-Men. 
and almost everyone kind of agrees that like the voices in the cartoon are still the voices they hear for the comments. That's good. Yeah. Eric had a fun story. A fellow named Bob Harris. Oh, Bob Harris. Yeah. Was yeah. The Marvel guy, and Marvel was in New York at the time. Uh, the, on the, yeah. when I say Marvel, I mean the, the well, comic industry. Marvel comics, there. and they were a small. I don't know, maybe twenty people in the office. They were small. Oh, wow. Going towards bankruptcy, and this this guy. This they just sold right the toy company. Toy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and they uh, and the guy that was assigned to us was in charge. There were three X Men uh, titles at the time that were going, and he he, he had like the seventy hour week job overseeing yeah. all three X Men titles. So he was their expert, named Bob Harris. Recently worked for DC for about five or six years, mm -hmm. but the longest time was there at Marvel. And he was in. He came in. What few people know is that we had a round of casting that went very badly. Before, oh. before we got Lenore and the oh. cast that we love, the cast. Mm -hmm. and I think I think because it went so badly, we again overcompensated and got this incredible cast to make up for it. But we'd send up these scripts, these serious scripts that you guys know now that we all know and love. And the first time they went through with the first group of actors, they played it like Scooby Doo. They played it. The oh cast. no! But you know that's what they've done for twenty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so that's what they're used to. It's, it's the same voice director. It's, it's not like he wasn't capable. It's just we tried to tell him we wanted it serious, and it just didn't quite get through. So we're back here in L.A. and we're getting the audio cassettes. Audio cassettes. Uh, audio cassettes. <laughs> audio cassettes of the, of the first recordings. And we're just at a fetal position because, oh, God, it goes over. It's so bad. It's just, it's dead. It's gone. It's, uh, if this is what's going to sound like, we should just quit now. And so Larry Houston, so Larry Houston from here Sydney and Sydney Iwater, and then two folks from Marvel, uh, Bob Harris and Joe Calamari. Great name. Yeah. So we <laughs> went to Toronto and, and sat with, and probably wore these guys out. Lenora's lucky she came at the end. But <laughs> through dozens and dozens of characters asking for theater people like Lenore and like the, the, the and main- like George Buza. And like, yeah, like the people we got, people with- and Cedric. Yeah, yep. and Cedric with gravity. Charisma, yeah. And Peter, to the, to the yeah. David Hamblin. Yeah. So Bob, all those guys. There. And again, this is before they had any kind of success with anything right. about the X Men. This yeah. is just the comic book universe. And, and Bob Harris is maybe he's thirty-five. He's grown up with the, the characters. He knows the characters better than anyone on the planet because he's in charge of the three books. And he's there and he's listening to people like Cal Dodd or <laughs> voice these people that he's only heard internally. For his entire mm -hmm. life, uh -huh. and he said it, he got chills. It was the most I'm getting chills surreal, now. <laughs> the most ever, you know, all I hadn't heard that story oh, before. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and Bob Bob said he just it shook it just it shook him up watching them watching you guys make them come to life. Wow! And, and obviously he was pleased. He was pleased with what he was hearing, but he just said it was a transformative experience yeah. that like none he'd ever had before. That's wow. that's so cool to hear because. I mean, I, Anthony and I are of the age that it makes sense that like that was kind of our first experience of like sure. hearing the X-Men, but to hear that someone who had been a fan for years prior, that, because that, that, I mean, it tracks, it really does. The voices are all so, <laughs> often with shows, yeah, often with shows like this, I feel like it's like a perfect storm of like really good actors and really good writers, because I mean, I'm sure you guys know, like you can write for something that eventually it gets put out and you're like, mm, yeah, and like. <laughs> we all try our hardest, but yeah. you never know. 
you never know. We all want to do our best work. And it work, could be but... drawn terribly or could, or could yeah. the budget get cut. And so it looks, it doesn't move right. Or, you know, so they, many they put the wrong music with it. or just. And that was the amazing thing that we're so grateful for. All this stuff came together right for the show in a way that it never had before or after for us. Even though know, we worked at Disney, we worked at Universal, we worked at other places that had the budgets and had talented people. And even worked with some of these same people on other projects mm. and it didn't come together. The way uh -huh. So it's the magic. Alchemy. It's the magic. <laughs> it, it's wonderful celebrating it now. The fact that there are people who are fans of it and we're finding them. We're finding them as we're finding out that the show had the kind of resonance that it had. It's it's amazing. It really how is. do you, I want to ask about, um, how do you synthesize all that material? Because there is so much and you were coming to it new and you have like a certain obligation to like honor the like classic stories. Like you guys do a very, here's the Dark Phoenix Saga. And it's like the best adaptation anyone has yeah. ever managed of the Dark Phoenix Saga. But you're also doing like season one is almost entirely its own new X-Men story and its own cohesive, coherent, rigorously about civil rights story. And like, how do you balance that? Like, um, Julia, you, you have, you adapt the Days of Future Past, right? Like, what do you do when someone's like, well, it's your turn, you gotta do Days of Future Past. <laughs> oh, and by the way, you can't use Kitty Pride. Oh, and <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, do something right. else. Um, <laughs> or Rachel, like if you're gonna use Rachel, you gotta set all that up, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, the, it was interesting, just again, the first season was that magic, 13 episodes where they, you don't know if it's gonna go beyond that. So the fact that you were kind of tasked from coming up with the stories that felt organic and we and I think the, the highest compliment is people said, oh my God, you adapted everything so, so well. There's not that much direct adaptation. If In the you, first season. If you examine yeah. the episodes, mm -hmm. stuff gets plucked from different places, but you know, Days of Future Past being the exception. And it wasn't until, you know, it, uh, cause that's episodes uh, 10 and 11, or 11 and 12. Which is that. early to introduce that many like time travel concepts. But, uh, the fact that Marvel was, was willing to let us play in that sandbox. There was a lot of reticence about taking on their uh, showcase stories. And that includes Phoenix yeah. and Dark Phoenix. That wasn't allowed until they felt X-Men the Animated Series yeah. kind of earned its way into, into that arena. Well, I think there are two things yeah. that let us do it, that let us not be overwhelmed by the idea of the legacy because you know right <laughs> it was the number one comic book in the country uh at, at the time um luckily as i say we weren't we had writers that were uh enraptured fans and they had real trouble because they would try to write a story and they put 800 characters and all their <laughs> right. powers and all the relationships and have to jam everything in because they can't leave anything out <laughs> and so we didn't have any of that problem uh, the Mark Edens and I kind of laid it out again. We hadn't, didn't have the history of the X-Men. So we were just thinking, again, these are new characters to us to play with. It's like, okay, we get to use the uh, characters out of Star Trek or we get to use the characters out of uh, Sherlock Holmes in a new series that's our right. series. And the guy that gave us the liberty to not be scared was Bob Harris. He said, look, we've got three different series going. There've been 29 X-Men from 1963 to 1991 in different forums and different good guy, bad guy combinations. You can't, there is not a strict canon. You can't just say, this is what the X-Men is. There are different people that like different elements of this. So he told us just pick what you like 
and just make sure it keeps the spirit and and, and the and keeps within character of the characters, but keeps within the spirit of the books. And don't worry about keeping you know keeping with a canon because we're going in three directions as it is, and we've gone in different directions before this. You'll drive yourself crazy if you're trying to figure out what the one direction is for the X Men. One example is I at one point in a later episode. And, and, and we, were, we were becoming fans of the books. You know, we were learning as, as we go. It was, you know, really, you know, learning on the job. Uh, I had a question about how Storm would handle something. And I asked one of the other writers who, who was the, who knew everything canon, you know, 800 characters. Okay, so how would Storm handle, how would she approach this problem? Oh, she wouldn't. Well, I said, okay, but I, she's going to be here. And she's going to be having this happen. Yeah. <laughs> Storm wouldn't do that. I'm hearing you. <laughs> I gotta work this. Can you help me here? Storm won't do that. It's, uh, uh, uh. So, uh, you know, so yeah. what did you do? So what did you I, do I, I, I did it my way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was you. It was, it was you two. It was you and Storm. Uh, whatever it takes. The one in Africa. Africa. Where you, where you go and help her. Oh, all right. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> there you go. Wow. How, how much of it? So the show... I like to think helped form my baby gay brain to be the like liberal that I am now. Uh, How much of your politics, like did you guys often get in trouble for like making like one man's worth is like pretty political. Nothing. Not really? But now let me point, okay, again, there was no internet back then. So mm, we right. were <laughs> scrutinized, you know. We didn't have way. trolls beating us up. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> for being too woke too soon. <laughs> If you go back in you know um, our country's history, world history, the early '90s, uh, the the AIDS epidemic was just happening, and the country trying to grapple or not grapple with that. Right. That was happening. I mean, that was actually and, happening as we, we were writing the show. And we just had the Rodney King trials the and King the LA trial. riots. So it, bad, bad stuff was going on, you know. And so the idea that these characters were representative of people who were treated as outsiders who felt like outsiders that was there was a lot of that going on you know in, in the zeitgeist you know sadly enough uh, and fortunately everyone at fox kids from the top down um were advocates for this kind of storytelling so yeah we were, just, we were just trying to make it as dramatic as yeah. possible we weren't trying to inject you know liberal politics into it. it's like people ask us oh it's, it's half female half male team did you consciously were you was this an anti-sexism comment no we just picked the eight characters we thought would be the most exciting to put together on a team in animation and it happened it was four women four men text credit there were some to pick from yeah it, yeah it was it wasn't just like 30 guys and a occasional take right token female. So I think it was unconscious because the people I know that, that wrote for the show have a, have a kind of a rainbow of po political background, mm -hmm. but they're, they're humanistic writers. They're serious about the character dramas. And I tend to think that pulls you back towards the kind of human stories we're talking about. And if that, if you want to call that liberal, it's liberal, but, and again, the setup with the X-Men about, about them, about the sense of outsider. That is just, that is something that, I mean, in 2020 is so big right. that it just, it's just, it's part and parcel of their mutancy. So we, it's, it, we couldn't get away from it. I was not the only female writer who wrote for X-Men. I, you know, and there were women at all. Our boss, the, our, the president of the- president of Oxford was female. 
Larry Houston, uh, producer director on the show, who put in all those brilliant Easter eggs that you know, if you thought you saw something, you did because Larry. <laughs> He uh, is, is, was uh, the first black artist hired as a storyboard co well, artist. In 1979, 1979. So there the, were none in Hollywood at the time. Oh, wow. he, he, broke, he broke through and got that. So I, I, just, just the makeup of the crew that was making the X-Men was, was a bigger um, pool than, than what you hear nowadays. And, oh, it's just, you know. You know, it's like, like somebody told me the first 25 years of The Simpsons, it was an all male, yeah. you know, they didn't have, they didn't have girls in the writing staff. Right. These girls aren't funny. Yeah. Right. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah. So, they made, so they made them so they made Bart a girl. Bart's a middle-aged woman. What's the karma man? Lenore, did you grow into uh, being a fan of the character as the project grew? Were you reading ahead in the comics, being like, I hope we get to do this uh, one? We, we, they kept giving us the scripts as we went, really. We we couldn't look too far ahead. Uh -huh. But I mean, I loved all the characters, to be honest. One, you know, once you get into it, as, as the fans know, all of them have such a unique qualities. And uh -huh. so I would look forward to every, every time we recorded one, to reading the story and then acting it out. I mean, uh -huh. what? <laughs> and get paid for it. So it's kind of like a kid's dream come true. <laughs> When I was yeah. a kid, I was an only child till I was 12. And so, and I grew up till I was eight in Australia. So I spent a lot of time like sort of playing imaginary games, like on my little tricycle. I remember I'd be on my tricycle. I'd be uh, imagining all these people chasing you. And then, you know, you get off and you do, you talk to these imaginary people. And um, so, in that sense, if I had told my little six-year-old self that someday you'd be doing that, doing that for a living, you know, I, I, I would have died and went to heaven, yeah. right? Because, I mean, it's, it's fun. <laughs> it, and you get to see all your friends and then get to act with them after you read the thing. It's like, oh my God, like, let's go do it again. It, it's so much fun, let's go do it again, right? What about the romance? Because that gambit stuff, some of that is, sometimes that chemistry, you can feel it. And like being in the yeah. room with Chris Potter, Chris Potter is a good looking man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a reunion just recently because we all went to, um, we went to, to uh, well, did he, he didn't come to Texas, did he? He came to Louisiana with us, New Orleans. Yeah. So we had, a, we had a reunion after 30 years. Wow, uh, we hadn't seen each other in 30 years. No, no. That's like and, you know, he's he's had a family, he's <laughs> married, and he's got a family, and he's had a few different TV series, and I'm a parliamentarian. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So we had a great old time getting caught up and wandering the streets of Nolans and <laughs> Going to oh my gosh, of course you would have been in New Orleans. Gambit finally got to show Rogue New Orleans. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it was so my much heart. fun. <laughs> and luckily we, we were there like February 1st and 2nd, something like that. So I think we just missed, you know, the, the Mardi Gras. And to be honest, you know, COVID-19. Right, yeah. Yeah. So we, were, we were there when it was you could just wander now. around oh. maskless <laughs> on, <laughs> on the streets. But right. 
Wow. Yeah, no, it, it, I'll tell you, one of the highlights uh, for last last year was getting together with these guys, you know, with Eric and Julia and, and with the cast, because we had not seen each other in 30 years. And we just, we, we went to Texas, we went to New Braunfels. Uh, where else did we go? Uh, oh, so Chattanooga, Tennessee. <laughs> that was so much fun. I always wanted to go there getting our feet wet with conventions, you know, because again, yeah. we never met Lenore because we were all right. in Los Angeles and she was up, that was our that first one. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Until very recently you had never met. Oh, right. Yeah. right. And for the book, we, we introduced ourselves each for the first time for the book. When you interviewed her. In, yeah. in, in 2016, 17, when I was writing the book, yeah. I would call them up. <laughs> and we do it over the phone. It was a pre, like pre-Zoom. It was just... <laughs> and so we talked for now. PZ. So yeah, because it, it, it was one of these things that TV animation, is, again, the budgets are modest, the schedule's tight. And sometimes when we're down here and the recording in LA, we get to be part of the recording process like when we were at Disney. Something. But... Even then, oftentimes, you're off writing the next show when they're recording the show. Right. That, that, mm. And so you've got, you've got the voice director and maybe an executive producer. At the, but maybe not even executive. And, you, know, you just find out later how, you know, how it came out. And sometimes the writers can be helpful. Sometimes they can be a pain in the ass in the, uh -huh. in the <laughs> recording studio. But it's, just, it's, 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 it's often not your, your call whether you're there or not. Uh, and obviously they're not going to fly us up to Toronto because, you know, we were recording episode four, we're writing episode seven and eight. So right. there's just no way to make right. it practical. You know, you know, I was, I was going to say, and it was fun too, because when we would come in the studio in Toronto, um, we would get together and we, like I said, we'd read it. Then we would, we would read it out loud around the table. I could do a table read like you would in theater or in film. And then you, and then we would go record it. And then after we'd finished recording for the day, like most of us would go out to this little bar that was just outside of the studio. Hang on, on what's, what's the bar's name? I need to go. Oh my God, I can't remember. You'd have to ask Cal. I can't remember. <laughs> but it was outside and it was in the sunshine. I, I, it was warm, I remember that. And we'd be sitting there, so Cyclops and me and... <laughs> Wolverine and Morph and Beast, you know. Yeah, I was, Rogue was usually with the guys. And we would, you know, and we would like stay until it got dark and then we'd, we'd take off, but it was fun, you know? Yeah, and then um, I am gonna tell a tale out of school. So Cal, oh, okay, good. Cal loves this tale. Cal, so, Cal Dodd, um, Wolverine. Cal Dodd Wolverine was he was at home one one like Saturday or Sunday watching TV and he was gonna watch the uh, the baseball game the the uh, the Blue Jays the Toronto Blue Jays at the Sky Dome you know we're gonna play and meanwhile in another scene in another universe far away uh, here is Cyclops uh, had asked Rogue in real life. Uh, if she wanted to go to a baseball game, which oh. I had never been to like a professional baseball game before. And I'd never been to the Sky Dome. So I said, why not, sugar? <laughs> and so <laughs> the two of us went to this baseball game. 
And I have to say, at the time, I have to say, I was um, in a relationship. <laughs> but um, so I went to this baseball game. And I said, as we're sitting there in the stands and everybody's cheering and everything, I said, oh, wouldn't it be just our luck if the Jumbotron, which is this big TV thing, oh suddenly like what zoomed in on us Kiss and cam. zoomed us out to the universe? <laughs> and guess what? Right then, it did. It did. It did. <laughs> and there's, there is Cal Dodd, Wolverine at home, watching and goes, Oh my God, <laughs> Cyclops and Rose together. <laughs> Was there a kiss? What? Was there a um, kiss? There might have been something <laughs> holding hands or something. But oh my God, we'll never live that one down. Oh, I wonder <laughs> if we can find the footage. I know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's just say I, I'm single. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Cyclops and Rogue is an int there's like a something there in the in the show. I don't know if you guys were writing to it or if Lenore was performing to it, but she's like she really seems to admire him as like this stalwart gentleman. Like she really wants what he and Jean have. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's performance so. or writing or what. <laughs> well, I feel like just interviewing you, Lenore, I feel like a lot of Rogue's personality is also like you coming through. It's like both. <laughs> Like, because Rogue, I feel like, has really good chemistry with everyone because she's also a little flirty. Like, her energy is just flirty. True. But also. Yeah. That, 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 that's true. She, she is. And she's, I mean, you know, it's funny how they say cl cl people who play clowns are oftentimes very sad people. Yeah. And so sometimes people who are, like, very big and broad and lives of the party also have a very internal, still kind of somber life. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always been both, which is why I think I can relate to her and why I played Marilyn Monroe. You know, yeah. when I was 19, I got chosen to play Marilyn Monroe, who, again, is a epitome of that. Somebody yeah. who's very externally broad and, you know, beautiful and flirtatious. But then she's also very lonely and sad and driven and not very sure of herself. Yeah. And so it, it's great. I love to be able to play those extremes in one character. And those characters are hard to come by. Would you play her again? Which one? <laughs> Would you play Rogue again? Well. Of course. Of course. Oh. Absolutely. She's one of my favorite characters in ever. And would As you come back and people. do some more X-Men? Uh, well, yeah, we, we get asked. We get asked a lot, and there have actually been three or four producers that have asked. I mean, not, no, no, nobody, no, no. Nobody, <laughs> don't get excited. Yeah, no, 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 nobody with any clout or, or, or any entry into Marvel or Disney or anything like that. There have been people that fans have been hoped for it to happen. We actually wrote all the cast and crew, uh, crew twice. If this happened, would you be up for it? Because these producers said, well, can, can you get the same people? And we said, of course we can, because A, it's a payday. Yeah. And, B, and B, these people loved, loved being part of it. And so, yes, of course we could get these people. Now, this was all pre-Disney Plus, yeah. the big Disney merger thing. Right. Right. So let's put it out there in the universe. Hey, People are watching hey, these cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about this? Please, we'd love to do this. But just to, to, to keep the record straight, Disney Marvel has not made yeah. any... Right. Any, uh, overtures to us. They have their own huge staff of people that are thinking 
the next five year plan for everything yeah. X-Men, right. everything Marvel. And they probably have their own people, you know, that, that, that they're involved in. And if it ends up involving some of us, that would be wonderful. But we have not, we no, we have, there's been misstatements in the press saying, uh, oh, Disney's dying to get the whole cast together. They're dying right. to get, <laughs> and we wish. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just, it's, it's our wishful thinking. It's fans' wishful thinking. It's not yet at all Disney and Marvel's wishful thinking. But have you thought about the stories you'd do if you came back? Yes. Julia, do you have one you want to do? Oh, uh, the one you were always like, we should have done this one and we didn't get to do this one. That's, that's just an interesting question right there. You know, what, what didn't we get to do that we'd like to, that we wish we could go and, and do? Uh, and that, and that, that's one thing. And then that's one kind of question. The other one would be, if offered the opportunity today, what would you do? And to me, the big question is, do we play with the idea of going back to 1997 and, and, continue and continuing from doing there. Episode, doing season six. Right, yeah. Or, right. or come up with some clever time travel way that you end up in contemporary society. Or Maybe just it's not. been five years. Yeah. Right, yeah. 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 Or, or come up with a way to be more contemporaneous. And, and, and that's, that's a fundamental exercise, you know. Especially. And the civil rights discourse has changed too, right? Like there's so many other things you could think about there too. And the politics Although in the some com- ways it's it's come full circle though too, hasn't it? That's, yeah, that's true. But at yeah. least you know, yeah. I mean, when you mentioned Rodney we're King, still yeah. having some of the same struggles. Oh yeah, yeah. And and even for women's rights, you know, I mean, the misogyny and sexism is still there. Um, and as a member of Parliament in Canada, we are like threats and 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 things like that, harassment and threats are up about 30% mm-hmm. for cabinet ministers. And the women in the caucus uh, have been talking, I mean, we've had all kinds of awful things happening from men who just don't seem to want to have women in positions of power. And that's really sad. It's yeah. a really sad statement of affairs. But, you know, this is Canada. so. You'd think we would be further ahead, and of course, a lot of people are, but it's still there, and a lot of people don't understand really what is misogyny. You know, yeah. they don't even realize that they're doing it half the time, and, and it's the same with racism. You know, there's always a tipping point where people go, oh my God, that's terrible. Um, but, you know, you, you'd think we'd be further ahead by now. Right. But yet here we have, we, we're like, again, like I, like I said, we're sort of coming full circle. And which is why I think the X-Men, it's a perfect time for the X-Men right now. And, and I think it would be smart of them to actually do a reboot of the show and put, put the X-Men in situations that are happening now. Maybe Graydon so Creed is president. In- <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean. Female president. Yeah, we did. I got in trouble. No, I've told this on the president. podcast before because you have a female president in that first episode. No, and no. I got in trouble as a kid for watching a cartoon where the woman, the president was a woman. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, no. so you were trouble. doing work right from the first scene. That cartoon was like pushing boundaries. And I have, I have aged over the last umpty years. And I realized <laughs> someone pointed out, oh, are you the Madam President character? Well, I'm the same now. <laughs> I was a we, we projected. Of the 30 years ago, but, uh, uh, I, 
I'd be happy to be Madam President. We, 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 act, things, yeah. we, we actually had a clip of that ready to put it on in November oh. 2016. Yes. Uh, but then that night we're going to put it on on put it on the internet saying, "Look, we you know uh, we, did um, first. we saw before Hillary won. You know oh, that Hillary we was going to win." Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, we project. Oh boy, it's it's not mm. been so. We life. jinxed it. It's our fault. <laughs> <laughs> so reunion episode, opening scene, Graydon Creed's president, and then where do we go from there? That's, that <laughs> sounds to me like it would work. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I always I always joke with Anthony when he because I'm also in America. I forget Anthony, what were you talking about with the animated series? Because you were like, did you guys have? And I was like, what free healthcare? No, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> And then well, we like, have people station? like Lenore keeping things straight for us. So. There you go. Yes, and and free healthcare works, folks. It's yeah, fantastic. If, if you can elect road to parliament, I recommend it. We're also talking about now universal pharmacare here on top of healthcare. So just yeah. bring it in for Julia and Eric and I. <laughs> yeah, you have to move to Canada. A medical crisis. We are dealing with a medical emergency and have been doing it for several months now. And we're not all of us waving flags going, I think we really need to talk about universal health care in a constructive way. Because the thing that stopped our economy, the thing that has dropped us in our tracks is a medical crisis. And we're not, we're not really having that conversation. You would think that would bring the conversation, but... Yeah. So there. So that, but yes, good old X-Men could uh, <laughs> a few things. Yeah. Yeah. Bernie was talking about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There yeah. you go. Rogue is a Bernie bro. <laughs> and, and, AO, and AOC. It's funny. My mom and I were talking because oh, we're Puerto Rican. And my, we always talk about how much my grandma would have loved AOC because oh, she would have liked seeing like a young Puerto Rican woman who's like doing things and is very liberal and like all this. Like she always makes me very happy. <laughs> I'm a big fan. If, if AOC ever hears this, Rogue is a big fan of AOC, and I think she should run for president someday. <laughs> when she's old. When she's old enough. <laughs> there you go. That's the, that's an endorsement to have, right? AOC, like she yeah. wrote. AOC. AOC will retweet that absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, in a serious way, uh, I literally, I grew up in a very conservative, very religious household, and in a lot of ways, this show was the first like you guys helped raise me. Like I learned Aww. like, oh wait, the way, the things I'm hearing about my life are not true. The, the, the way people are articulating reality is not the way it is. And maybe there is a way to imagine a community and a way to fight back. I was talking to Ian about yeah. that first scene where the X-Men are walking to the Sentinel um, facility yeah. and you all have the conversation about like, well, why are we born different? And everyone has a different take on why they're born different. And it's like, that was the first time I heard anything like that as a kid and i'm so thankful to all of you for that oh, hey well thank you for sharing that with us that's yeah that's huge and if, if we could make anybody feel just a little more comfortable in their own life or just not so alone i mean that's that's huge that is that yeah is thank you for that i, so, I don't know beast. i don't know beast you know everything what makes us like the way we are anyway <laughs> Oh my you God! It, you got it. Uh, right, that's from that show. You know a lot of the lines. I know. Like, I'm impressed. I, 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 they come back to me. Can, do you remember the rocking chair line? Oh come on! You look about as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Hey. <laughs> that is my favorite rogue line. <laughs> I, I love that one too. 
I when one. I was when we were getting ready to talk about the first two episodes, Night of the Sentinels, I actually looked that up. I didn't realize that that is like a southern. Mark and Michael Edens, uh, born and grew up in Tennessee. I met them at the University of Tennessee. So Where you went to college? Yeah, we had writer. We had two other writers from Tennessee. Julius from Texas. We had a writer from Alabama. It's a very <laughs> southern. It's a very southern writing cast. So any of Rogue's southernism is oh. absolutely from someone's great aunt. They were. They were, <laughs> they, so much. they were real. Yeah, that's true. They were. They were sincere. That reminds me, um, I remember I have a film that came out on the weekend, right, called Stage Mother that is streaming right now. And I play, I play a Texan in that one, too. Oh, and it stars Jackie Weaver, oh Lucy Liu, Adrian Grenier, and Jackie Beat, who is a great drag queen. Yeah. And it's kind of like Priscilla Queen of the Desert, only in this day and age. Came out across North America last weekend. But you say can the name again. It. It's called Stage Mother. Stage okay. Mother. You will love yeah, it. Yeah, you'll yeah. love it. You you got to watch it. It's I'm watching so that tonight. <laughs> it, it's it's just to give you a little tiny bit. It's about this little Texan woman who's a, a choir m mistress in his Baptist church choir, and she um. She finds out that her son, who they disowned because he came out, and they disowned him and he moved away to San Francisco and they haven't seen him in a long time. And she finds out that he has he's died, he's passed away, but he's left her something. And she has to go to San Francisco and she goes to the and, and she finds out it's a drag club. Oh my god. <laughs> I love that. Stage mother. Her a drag club. Literally yes, watching that tonight. So. You gotta <laughs> see it. Tell me how you like it. On the trailer, she's in. It. I mean, it's just fun watching. I'm in it. <laughs> I will make sure I, we I, promo I that. I sure am in it, sister. <laughs> you and, believe uh, I'm in it. <laughs> and Julia and Eric, you have a new book coming out. Is that yes. right? Yes, and it's look at that cover. Cover art. We got That's a cover out the front and the back. Uh, and it's since the original book was was done without Marvel and Disney's participation. <laughs> it's, it's a, the original book is a dense, like 200,000 words of the <laughs> lots of interviews, lots of history, lots, <laughs> lots of back behind the scenes stories, but no color art, just, just <laughs> some storyboard panels and some designs, but very little for people that love the look of the show in yeah, the first book. Because we couldn't book. get the rights. Right, yeah, we, yeah. We, yeah. This one, we were, we got this email, this call from Marvel from a head guy at Marvel wanting to talk to us. We thought, oh, damn, they're gonna, we're going to be in trouble for doing the first book without the <laughs> And said, no, 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 we all love the book at, at our office, but we want now that we have all the rights together because they didn't have the rights together before. Now they got all the rights together. They wanted to do a book celebrating the look and the art. So this is in this one, we interviewed more people, production people like mm production managers that had to put 800 elements together, you know, the recording and all the sketches and all the storyboards and all the model sheets and all the color codes and everything. Box, send it over to Korea, have 20,000 hand-drawn cells mm. done. You get the episode back. You know, so, so production people and lots of artists we talked to. And we dug it. It was hard to find... <laughs> This was, is pre-computer. So yeah, it, right, yeah. it was all hand-drawn. 98% of the stuff's been thrown away. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Keep your eyes Monsters. So Vandals. So we dug through like artists' storage facilities. Larry Houston had three. And, <laughs> yeah, and then luckily there was a, um, 
uh, a, fine art gallery. a fine art gallery that had a couple hundred cells, uh, X-Men cells, because they had bought a bunch of them before uh, uh, Saban or Marvel was throwing them away. Yeah. And <sighs> they still had a bunch of them. And as kind of in return for the PR for the gallery. So yeah, you can use any you want. So uh, we did a lot. It was, it was a lot of tr tracking down the most That's a lot of digging yeah. good art yeah. and art that illustrated stuff that showed how the animation worked that showed you know prop lists and and changes and and things that were drawn wrong and just all kinds of cool stuff that shows how an animated show got made in 1992 which is much more labor intensive than it is now i would imagine yeah what's so the, interesting for people who are just listening to this and can't see the cover what's the name of the new book it is uh x, x men the art and making of the animated series. And you can find a link to it on Amazon right now. And it's also available through Abrams Publishing, which is the new house for us that's doing this. It's kind of like a big coffee table book. It's, it's going to be, it's a coffee table book. It's when does it come out officially? October 13th. Okay, cool. So come on up, come on up. And we were just hoping have... all this is over by then. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we were gonna have a big panel. I'm gonna broke that in oh, Manhattan for the, for the NYC Comic Con which to, we'd never to launch the book. Yeah. But of course, it's, uh, although although wrote they may they may want us for a couple a couple uh, uh, onlines. So okay, I'll, 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 I'll be around. I want to know how you're doing your film career and your political career. And how are you doing it all? My God, well, Rogue's still kicking I, ass. I, I do my film career on the weekends. <laughs> 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 All right. My well, day job is my is my 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 constituents. My constituents are my family. They're my life. They're my everything. And uh, you know, and then and then my creative talents are in my spare time. I think but, Charles Xavier would be very proud if that's the kind of citizen that came out of Xavier's Institute. <laughs> and well, as the, I'll tell you, one, one of the things as a parliamentarian, it made me proud to be able to do when COVID hit was to be able to say to my prime minister, to Justin Trudeau, who's I'm in his party and part of the government, was to say, please don't forget the artists and you know all of the performing artists and the artists who now cannot work and in Canada, they don't get employment, unemployment insurance. Mm -hmm. So they were not able to get unemployment insurance, but yet they're out of work because you can't put on shows or anything like that. So we created a fund called the, the CERB, where people that were self-employed and, and artists and people like that, the gig economy, got $2,000 a month. Oh, yep. 2000 bucks a month to keep them going throughout this whole time. And it's still going now. We're, we're, we're transitioning into something else, but I mean, it saved lives. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, every drag queen I know is still <laughs> able to at least keep it going because of Julia, serve, so. Eric, how do we get something like this over here? Right? Like, I'm still on furlough from my job that I've been on furlough. Well, actually I just got laid off, but I've been on furlough for like months and I, they, America just, we didn't, they didn't vote on the unemployment bill before they like went on their recess. Uh, they went on a three really? day holiday. Yeah, no, Boy. we're, yeah. So what are you doing? So it's just like whatever the small, it was like 30% of what I was earning is now uh, like, that's it. And like, that's so hard. And they all just went on that recess, right guys? And it was like, that's uh, it, you, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
That's so difficult. Is running. We just want the post office to keep going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Stuff we shouldn't be dealing with, but yeah. Well, this is why you need you need to have those um, social benefits for the for the people. You know, like if you if you if you don't have people looked after, then you're not going to have an economy anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. right? They they go hand in hand, and that's why mm -hmm. uh, you know it's so important to have those benefits for people to look after people. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been my heart goes out to all of you. Really, it does. I'm thinking of all my American friends there, and 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 the pandemic is raging. And please, you know, stay home and look after yourselves. Wear masks when you're out. Wash your hands all the time. Uh, don't party with a bunch of people right now. It's not a good time to be partying. Play yeah. with all those imaginary friends and watch <laughs> lots of. X-Men. You know. Rogue is kind of the queen of social distancing. <laughs> she is. I'm a champion, man. Champ. I have the t-shirt. <laughs> oh, right. I did see an artist made that, didn't he? There was an artist. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bought one. I bought a, I bought a hoodie and a t-shirt. Love it. Oh, he was so excited. I took a picture of it, did a little video. And he was like, oh my God. <laughs> Stop. I think public. He's really good. Art of Lucas. He's got some okay. fun. Yes, out. Art of Lucas. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we can stress enough to the three of you what, like, to especially like queer folks of our age, like what you all mean to us. Like, Aww. I can't imagine as an artist having like the rogue take a picture with art. <laughs> like, that's like. <laughs> but I know that yeah. we. I know you are have a busy schedule, Lenore. So. We're gonna thank close you. up here. Thank you all for listening, uh, thank, Lenore. Thank promo. So Promo, whatever, tell everyone where they can find you online and everything. Uh, well, just on Twitter, basically, is my main, is my main one, at Zan Lenore. Uh, so just hit me up, and uh, I, I'm in and out of Twitter, but I oftentimes will re reply or retweet or send a, a kiss or say, hey, sugar, or, <laughs> or something. I, and I am actually going to do a birthday greeting for somebody and a marriage proposal. Somebody's asked me to do a, help them do a marriage proposal. I'm going to be doing that pretty soon too. And you'll see that on social media. That's cool. Yeah, that's, that's kind of cool, right? Um, I don't want to say who it is because I don't want to break, right. give it away. But, but, and the other thing is do watch Stage Mother. You can, you can stream it on YouTube and all of those streaming platforms, but you'll, you'll love it. This cool. audience will really love it. Cool. And cool. It we tonight. are all equal, right? We are. We're all in this together. And Julia and Eric, where can everyone find you? I'll pop this up. I'm Amazing. On, a little I'm higher, a little higher. <laughs> there it I'm is. <laughs> on, I'm on Twitter way too much because it's fun. But um, Oh, it's my disease too. So it's at X-Men TAS, the animated series. X-Men TAS. For the animated Facebook series. Facebook and uh, Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're trying to figure out Instagram. And uh, yeah, there you <laughs> And Twitter. Twitter. And Twitter, Twitter first. Mostly Twitter. Yeah. And please... Um, uh, go, uh, hit Amazon up just to look up. Check up either book. on X Men, and then that one's so good. And I'm and I'm getting a new copy of the new one too. They're sending me one. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Well, yes. well, I, sure, we, we, we're just figuring. Julia gave her gave him a list, and we just heard this week that people are or, getting or notified. Starting to get notified. So I'm yep, gonna, they got in touch with me, and I'm going to get it. What would like to think that Rogue would get a copy? <laughs> <laughs> Well, sure, sure. Why not? <laughs> I'm so jealous that you get to do that voice whenever you want. I know. <laughs> it's just a 
just pulled right out of my sleeve. You know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but thank you all so much. And thank, thank you all for you. listening. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Uh, see you again. Stay safe, y'all.